0: Hi there, Global citizens, it's Florence Adu, your host for the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around doing something in the world. I'm here, I'm still in London, and I'm with a wonderful dynamic woman. Her name is Aquia Jeshi. She is a scuba diving lawyer who likes sci-fi, laughter, and arts and in her um other caped escapades she is a public policy manager for election integrity for africa amina at facebook
1: that's right. Akria, welcome.
0: Thank welcome. You. Tell us a little bit about
2: you and where you're local. Thank you, Florence. First of all, it's good to see you. Welcome to London. Thank you. Uh, London is home now, and it has been for almost five years. Okay. But before that, I lived a little all over. I was, um, I was born and raised in Germany, in a city called Dortmund. Yeah, Borussia Dortmund, for all the people who know what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's the football club. Yeah, born and raised there, where my family's originally. From Ghana, I've also have this funny accent because I spend a lot of my formative years in the United States. So I got two of my three degrees in Washington, D.C. I also have lived in places such as Liberia for a couple of years. Yeah, I
0: remember that. not nice. good four
2: years in in Monrovia. Spent another year in Abuja, in Nigeria, working on uh, international Ooh, development. I didn't
0: even remember that? Yeah, That's nice. that
2: was so. That was a while ago. Yeah. And then uh, somebody told me I needed to actually go back to my roots and my roots are I'm a lawyer. And I went back to Germany to become not only a New York attorney, but also a UK solicitor and do serious lawyer work. (laughs) And now London is home.
0: Okay. Yeah. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. So you told us a little bit about where you grew up, what inspires you?
2: That's a great question. I think it's, it's a lot of things. One of them is the idea of privilege because I do think that I've been gifted and blessed with a lot in my life mm-hmm. and I'm thinking like, what can I do to give back, help others? I'm quite loud as a person, so who can I give my voice to that might not be listened to regularly or, or sort of doesn't have a space to be heard, so how can I create space for others? and address issues of injustice and inequality and yeah i think that's that's a big part of my inspiration i think also i meet a lot of really great people across sub-saharan africa in my work and i think part of it is that i want to be part of the conversation about changing the narrative i mean people always say that but i think it means you know you tell your own stories and you make sure people have to realize that we can't be defined by stereotypes, basically. Right,
0: right, right. So you've taken this route around the world and come back to your roots. Tell us a little bit more about how you transitioned from your legal career. So what, what, how that took you to the different parts of the world. So Monrovia, Abuja, and then now here in London with Facebook.
2: Yeah, it's funny because I think looking back, it's easy to say that I had it all figured out. I definitely did not. <laughs> and the reality was when I was quite young, about 15, I went to the U.S. for the first time as an exchange student. What state? I was in Maryland, okay. La to Maryland, did the whole yellow school bus and everything.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. And I
2: loved it. Yeah. And I, I realized the mentality there really spoke to me in terms of the sky's the limit was something that I really hadn't sort of embraced before as an idea.
1: Yeah.
2: I think having been born and raised in Germany, I, I didn't want to stand out, which is ironic mm-hmm. if you know how I look like. Right. <laughs> She's a beautiful, beautiful African, <laughs> African. woman. Thank you, yes. Florence. Um, Of course I'm going to stand out. Yes. But I think the mentality that I grew up in Germany is like, yeah, be good. average. Don't stand out too much. Fit in. Like, fit in. Yeah. And going to the U.S. as a teenager, I think for the first time, I learned that it was not only okay to stand out, but more importantly, like you can push and give as much as you can in one area and just see how far you can go. Right. And I think that when I was that young, I think I realized really quickly I needed to study in the U.S. Like I didn't want to stay in Germany to to go to university. So I begged my parents and they looked at me as if I was crazy (laughs) because education in Germany is free. Right. Education in the U.S. is not. Yes, very true. (laughs) Yes. So bless them and shout out to both mom and dad for taking my 15-year-old dream seriously and um, helping me basically attend university in the U.S. in Washington, D.C. Okay. And I did my pre-law degree there. After that, I actually wanted to come back to Germany, but I was told that Germany wouldn't accept my B.A. in law, in pre-law. Oh okay. So I realized I need to go to another common law country. Yes, yes. Um, and I wanted to be a bit closer to home after four years in the US. Yeah. Uh, so I looked at England. Okay. One great professor and he said, you know, if you want to really affect change in the world, you need to go to university that's that's well known and respected. Sure. Yeah. So I didn't like Oxford University <laughs> and I applied to Cambridge instead. Got in okay. and then got my law degree in Cambridge. After which I sort of Again, realized, okay, this is maybe, I, I need a bigger, a bigger pond, a bigger space to operate in. I want to do international law. So after a year of traveling, going all over the place from Germany to, to New York, to Ghana for the first time on my own, right after law school, I went back to the U.S. for my master's, got my master's in law and qualified to become a New York attorney. And then the financial crisis hit.
0: Right. Right. This was the 2012 crisis, right? That was
2: actually,
0: no, 2008. Oh, yeah, the first one. The first one. Well, not the first,
2: but, yeah. The the, the,
0: the one that, yeah, (laughs) the pre-Obama crisis, right. And I
2: remember it was kind of unprecedented, (laughs) and people sort of said, you know, we don't give um trainee contracts out to lawyers anymore because we don't know what they're going to be working on
1: Mm -hmm. so
2: even the people we have accepted we have given positions we're giving them sabbaticals paid sabbaticals that's how crazy it was so i was a bit at a loss having spent all this money on my education
0: right to be able to practice in that country exactly i'm like
2: i passed the new york bar first time like i'm ready and people were like yeah we're not hiring Yeah. So I believe in the power of sisterhood because I talked to a really great lawyer at a law firm out of Paris and she gave me the advice. She's like, listen, nobody knows what will happen, but until things calm down, I suggest you do something interesting that brings you joy Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and that you can then also turn around and say it would be helpful for a law firm in terms of
0: contacts. Right, right. That was great advice.
2: Yeah and I, I, I literally I was in Washington DC. I didn't know anyone who worked in the international development sphere but uh, the university I went to for my master's, George Washington University Law School was right next to the World Bank. Okay. So, I just started knocking on doors. Why not? (laughs) And I said, hello, I am German. Do you have a job? No. Hello, I'm also Ghanaian. Do you have a job? No. And then through an old American friend, I literally got a hookup through someone who was Australian. Oh, okay. And he helped me with my first consultancy in Liberia for the World Bank.
1: Ah, okay.
2: So, uh, again, don't underestimate how much your friends can help you. Yeah. And this was a friend I mostly remembered because we used to party a lot together and Those go are to pubs. Those are the best ones. <laughs> and I, I remember if his name is Ryan. I was like, Ryan, I don't want to leave the United States, but I need a job. Yeah, Help me.
1: Yeah,
2: I don't want to go back home and yeah, he made introductions. And yeah, before I knew it, I was on my way to Liberia for my first job.
0: And so that was with the World Bank? With the World Bank. Okay. And what was the project?
2: So I was advising the Supreme Court justices in Liberia on how to basically reform part of their judiciary system. The idea being that Liberia being a post-conflict country needed as much as help as possible in all sectors, from health to transport, infrastructure, the justice system. And you had a lot of young people who left Liberia yep. during the war, or died or were killed, so they just needed all hands on deck to right. sort of figure out how to spend even the money that they were given to improve, get people out of prison that had been there for years and nobody even knew why. No trials. No trials. Why? Documents right. lost. Yeah. And even just do, do things like how do we increase people sort of feeling like Liberia is a trustworthy destination for economic investment got it so even working on like legislation built the first commercial court of the country
0: ever existed
2: and with specialists in liberia drafted their first local commercial code So quite an
0: accomplishment yeah it was it's
2: it's kind of crazy because what i realized is that oftentimes when you're not at headquarters of an organization but you're somewhere in the field right you get experiences that you wouldn't usually get. Yes. Right. So somebody's on the way to meet the solicitor general or the minister of health, and they go around the office and say, "Hey, do we have a lawyer here?" And you tentatively raise your hand, say, oh, "Yes, I just graduated, but yes, I am indeed qualified." They're like, "Okay, come along. You help us draft this contract, and you learn." Wow. Right. And yeah. consultancy of three months then turn into four and a half years.
0: In That's Liberia. Really okay. Exactly. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about that local experience, right? Mm-hmm. Because as you mentioned, it was post conflict. Mm-hmm. This was in what year of Johnson's prison, Johnson's release?
2: Yeah. Term? So I went there two thousand at the end of 2008, beginning of 2009. And things, at that point, to be honest, Liberia was a bit of a donor's darling. A lot of yeah. people were present. Sure. But I think it's. The country almost couldn't absorb all of the help and aid that was given. And so no matter which sector you looked at, you had some sort of donor presence. And so part of the work also just included engaging the relevant donors to make sure that the right hand knew what the left hand was doing. Mm -hmm. And I think the tricky part about being in a country like Liberia is everything is needed now. Right. So, how do you prioritize whether somebody should get roads or water or access to health care? Right. Or you focus on a dispute resolution system that addresses the impact of of civil war, right? Neighbors killing neighbors. (laughs) Because in the end, you're just being told from one day to the next the war's over and you have to figure out how to live with people who might have killed your mother or your brother or your child right yeah so it was an interesting time where if you were willing and able to help you could so i was very young in my career but i was given ridiculous amounts of responsibilities because there's simply no but nobody else there to help. Right. And so I really appreciated that time for having sort of stretched me and also given me sort of confidence that, yes, I've only just recently graduated from school, but with your know, heart in the right place mm-hmm. and not being afraid to ask for help. And yeah, looking towards others in Africa who might have had similar experiences and sort of figured out how to get through post-civil war times you can actually move the needle in the right direction
0: got it got it so then you went from
2: there to abuja yeah so liberia being a tiny country
0: i realized
2: after about four years i was like i'm itching for something else so i did a bit of a tour went to kenya tanzania Ghana and Nigeria to find out whether I could see myself in any of those countries like a true global citizen yes
1: (laughs) you know like just reach out to friends friends of
2: friends friends of colleagues and I was like okay I'll spend Two weeks in Kenya, a week in Tanzania, I'm going to stay at a really cheap hotel and sometimes a really nice hotel. Right. Exactly. And Nigeria was not on my list. I'm sorry to all my Nigerian brothers and sisters at that time, I was like, oh, no, no. Yeah. And I went. Yeah. And I fell in love and I realized, oh my goodness, this is, this is the biggest country in Nigeria. The issues are different. Uh, the approach is different. Mm-hmm. You work on a state level. Also, I just loved. I encountered so many badass Nigerians with two, three, four degrees from all the universities. Right. So conversations were happening at a different level. Yeah. And it was interesting to see an, an African country having the confidence to say, "Yes, we want your help, but not in any shape or form. You give it to us." Right. We actually wanted to make sense mm-hmm. and work for our people, mm-hmm. which was great. So I was there almost a year when I got an offer to work for a law firm. Okay. So here we've become full circle.
1: Yeah, Didn't really start there, yeah. but
2: did end up there. Yeah. And it was so the offer
0: was to work for a firm in Abuja. No, the offer
2: actually came outside. It was work for law firm Clifford Chance. Okay. On at that point, alternative dispute resolution issues in Paris. Okay. That's not what happened. (laughs) So um, (laughs) yes. it goes i think somebody learned that i spoke german
0: and not french and not french
2: <laughs> <laughs> so before i know it i'm getting a call from a partner in frankfurt saying you know we have a practice here focused on project finance also something i was really interested in yeah you're, you're german you can come back home and uh, do uh yeah, english based law basically so for work, I spoke English, with my secretary I spoke German,
0: Okay. and did
2: mostly project finance deals in Turkey, actually. In Turkey? In Turkey. Mm-hmm. That's how say. life happens, <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. And so you did that for about how long? A good three years. Okay.
2: And then I realized law firm life is not for me. Yeah. But yeah. I did prove to myself, I think, mostly, that I could hang with a big boy. Yes. I could work off of two hours of sleep. I can sleep beneath my desk and pop back up and pretend like I got a full (laughs) night's rest and continue typing and drafting. Um, The life of a lawyer. The life of a lawyer. You learn how to do, you know, you you thought you knew how to write emails, but then you quickly learn that you don't. And you get, I think as much as it was a tough period of my life in terms of working 24-7, it also really helped me in terms of looking at problems in such a way that I think about what is the problem and what are the possible solutions, Yeah. what are the pros and cons, and almost approach it in a very non-emotional way, a very like factual, let's just weigh pros and cons. Let's look at the bigger picture, let's step back, let's get information and data if we don't have it, to
0: make that kind of decision. So do you think that was part of the culture of working in Germany? Because we know that German culture is very cut and dry, this, that, the other. Or do you think it was what that role as a lawyer required of
2: you? That's a good question. I think, to be honest, I think it was more than law firm. Okay, their, their culture. Yeah, their culture. I think it's a bit of like trial by fire and like the strongest survives and wins. Yeah. But almost like it's like you get pressed and then you become a diamond I right? like so much pressure mm-hmm. then comes the shine then comes the shine but what i've also realized is i am now at a stage where i believe that diamonds don't need any more pressure
0: ah, so i love it yeah i think yeah. that you know
2: this sort of constant need to constantly improve and continue giving your all is actually not a way to live life sure And I now feel like I've come at a point in my life where I am a diamond. I don't need any more pressure. I should be able to determine how do I work best and when do I stop working and draw energy from other things that I'm passionate about. Sure. But yeah, back then I was a trainee. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and an associate, and you were doing the move. I was getting that pressure, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yes. got it. So, then from there, how did you now get into your role now mm-hmm. as a public policy? Manager? Because I, I think that came next, right? Exactly, yeah.
2: I was actually cat hunted for the first time in my life, ah. I applied to. Um, like a headhunting company that had a particular focus on Africa Mm -hmm. because the one thing I knew is that I am passionate about all things Africa always have been and as much as I love my Turkish brothers and sisters (laughs) and uh, for anybody who hasn't been I totally recommend spending some time in various places in Turkey I, I did feel like okay my passion is with people who look like me and who have maybe similar experiences and similar struggles and see me as an ally, not as a foreigner, because I knew how much that helped me both in Nigeria and Liberia to be of Ghanaian descent. And so, yeah, I just went for this company that sort of said, hey, we have a lot of jobs coming through with an African focus, so you can sign up with us. did one interview with a law firm in Abuja that was horrible okay <laughs> and then i got a call out of the blue sort of saying hey we have a great opportunity here some public policy given your international development background and focus and you have lived on the continent and you being a lawyer we think you'll be the perfect fit and i remember they were told me at that time it was for a tech company
0: oh okay
2: and i thought oh okay. tech
0: interesting i've nice. dabbled in that but
2: as my older sister would tell you, for a long time, I didn't even know how to update my iPhone. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so part of me was a bit scared and thought, I am a lawyer, but I'm not a techie. Right. I wonder if, if I'm still so qualified. But sure. I had some good older brothers slash mentors and sisters sort of saying, you know, you have come this far. You can learn. right? And if you were a man you probably wouldn't doubt your abilities as much. So what's the worst thing that can happen? Yeah. Just apply, see if you like the people, like the company. And only, at, I think a couple of days before the interview did it turn out that it was Facebook. Okay. And I had a great interview with, at that time, my manager, who was the head of public policy for Africa.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I
2: really loved how she thought about how to work on African tech-related issues, because it's so multidimensional. Right. It's right. safety, it's privacy, it is cybersecurity, it is economic opportunity, it is also the awareness like that a lot of people don't have digital Yeah, they're not
0: competent. Yeah, yeah knowledge in terms
2: it. of they know how to use it but yeah. they might not be aware of the things that could go wrong. It's a lot and, and a lot of it is done for the first time. And I think I remember being really fascinated with the idea of sort of, it doesn't have to be a continuation of the idea of company coming in to Africa, stealing resources and leaving again, mm-hmm. but one could work on a win-win solution for yeah, helping countries sort of leapfrog, as people like to say, development through accessing tech
0: Right right and that's basically what you do now
2: yeah so for about three years i was doing uh, public policy work throughout sub saharan africa uh, with a broad range of issues anything from child online safety i would speak on for one week Uh, another week might be a conversation about how do we deal with online bullying another week it would be about what do we do about fake accounts Uh, another Conversation would be about you know how can we make sure that our African parents stop spreading fake news via WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. So it was quite interesting, you know, but it was quite broad, and I
0: sort of had this this need to be a bit more specialized. Okay. So yeah, because public policy, my my yeah. background is in public policy, and it can be very umbrella-ish. Definitely. Right. So yeah. And you learn a lot. Yes. But it's like you know a little
2: bit about everything, but yes. not that much about anything.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: It's like I talked about. Uh, tech and health for example fascinating sure. but you always kind of felt like oh i had a taste i could help them a little bit but it's not my area of expertise my, go um, and so they created a job that didn't really exist before i think learning through the elections in the u.s
0: okay that they the, needed the 2016 analysis. exactly
2: needed a bit more focus on figuring out how tech or social media could be unfortunately misused, especially in the context of an election, mm-hmm. and how to think through cross functionally how to think of the risks of an election, right? Is it hate speech? Is it fake accounts? Is it sure. anything relating to, I don't know, um, people demonstrating and, and maybe doing harm to other people while demonstrating and then? putting that on social media or deep fake videos or uh, fake news. I mean, it's sort of, there was an array of issues that had come up and they realized, well, you know what, we need to hire people who can help coordinate these efforts across the company because there are so many teams involved in addressing these various issues. Right. Right. I have colleagues who work in lo- with law enforcement. I have colleagues who do online safety and work on like, how do you keep women candidates safe from harassment? I have, um, I have colleagues who are engineers and develop apps to help uh, people know about the deadlines for registering for an election.
1: Ah, for
0: Africa,
2: yeah. I think, specifically interesting.
0: So let yeah. me ask you this. So within Facebook, so do you have internal clients that kind of are asking for these things? So within each country, there's an office. And are they asking for these things to happen? So is that kind of driving how you're allocating resources and how you're staffing these, these different kind of roles or
2: projects it's a great question so the company definitely now operates on a global level right and right. i think we need to look at every single election i think the misconception is that the company being an american company focuses mostly on the u.s elections but that's actually not true right so they realized we need to break out our election integrity work and make it regional because you need regional people to either speak the languages or understand the context or know the right people to call to understand the context ask the right questions to understand what are the highest risks that we're facing in this election
1: yeah
2: and who are the people that we can work with to address them Because Facebook is a
0: tech company, right? Right. They're not experts, right? So that's where I was kind of like, You're a tech company, but a lot of the things you're talking about require you to work with governments, exactly, to work with corporations, exactly. Yeah,
2: that's definitely what's what's taking place. So, no matter the request, though, we will always do a risk analysis for every election, okay, with externals trying to figure out what are the biggest issues that we have to think about here. Okay, is it foreign interference from a different, company, from a different country? Is it fake news spreading certain information that might lead to violence on the streets? Sure. And sometimes it's, it's something that can be actually addressed quite quickly if it's fake accounts and accounts not being verified that's something our team actually can address quite quickly. But again, the first thing is an analysis. What are the issues? And then it's my job to make sure that I loop in all the relevant teams and sit all around the world who can then address these specific, specific issues, and so that happens for me on a country by country level. So, no matter if it's a tiny country or if it's a massive country, we will do the same risk analysis. Okay. Of course, we keep in mind sort of what are the risks, also based on how big the country is. Yeah. Right. If, if we know that. I don't know, let's say terrorism is an issue in, in northern Nigeria. Um, and it's can affect a lot of people if there are fake news being spread about this ethnic group has done this ethnic group any kind of harm. Then it's definitely something that we'll take into consideration as well. Um, the ability to act quickly if a lot of people can be affected. But again, that doesn't mean that if you are Mauritius and you have an election, that we ignore you. Got it. And I think that's the beauty of working with people from all around the world. Because let's say a colleague in my London office is busy, I can reach out to the Delhi office and say, hey, I need you to work on this launch of a product for me. Or if a colleague in California I was working with goes on vacation, I have another colleague in Dubai that I can reach out to. I think that's the beauty of having global people working with people who have. Local expertise as well. Right. Because then you can help direct the conversation to go in the right direction. But at the same time, I see myself like a conductor of an orchestra.
0: Okay. Okay.
2: A lot of brilliant players. Yes. But we all need to play well together for it to sound good. Yes, indeed. So my job is not to do anybody's job, but just help lead the conversation about what are the issues that we have to address and then also lead how do we find solutions how do we test things out that make sense given the specific context because yeah. what I don't want is people to think oh we've we've, we've developed this solution in one, one country and now we're just dropping it into another country Right. but how do we find local solutions to local problems yeah. and I work very closely with colleagues who are in the African public policy team for example and I sort of say okay you work with the governments, you work with the NGOs, you work with the regulators you work with everyone who can give you a good insight into what the issues are are, Mm -hmm. help me understand, help the the company understand what's at stake here, and how we best prioritize addressing these issues. Got it. So,
0: speaking of localing. In the local context, um, here's my local speak
1: question, I ask
0: my guests to tell me what you hear. So I ask you to give a word or phrase that is a meaningful part of your local experience. So you have a few different locals that you could draw upon. So choose one or even here in the UK, but something that is meaningful that has impacted you in some way. Yeah, I kind of, um loving sci-fi,
2: I think my my word is invisibility, ah, and not in a bad sense in terms of nobody seeing you and you sort of want to be seen, but I like to maneuver in a way that like people don't really see me. I'm the person who can be local in Germany and I can be local in Ghana and I can be local in Kenya and I can be local in DC. And I love going to places where I can basically just be one of many. Because I think and not not to say that I, I don't have pride and love in where I'm from but it's nice to be able to connect to people. Right. Sure. So, you know, if I'm in D.C., I can talk to my people about D.C. things. If I'm in Ghana, I can like talk to people about things yeah. in Ghana. And I think I've realized that being a black woman with for the continent actually has opened doors mm-hmm. because once I embraced that yeah. as being my thing, people then felt not only comfortable, but almost had an eagerness to talk to me yeah. about issues. Sure. got it. And so, invisibility, in a sense of, I can maneuver through various localities. It it kind of,
0: so, since I've been here, I've been watching television. Yes. And there's a commercial. It's a McDonald's commercial. Yeah. And so, it starts out with the alarm going off, and a person, it's 11.30 p.m., a person gets up. You you can, like, give this woman. You see the footsteps. You see the things happening. Yeah. And then, it takes you through a journey through the streets, and you see all these things happening invisibly. but. It's, it's really showing it's, the point is that there are so many people that are doing such impactful things that impact us every day mm-hmm. that we don't see necessarily that we don't know what's happening but they're actually doing it. so I, I like that yes. it really makes sense and especially because it's like oh I got it it's, as soon as you said I was like aha I get it <laughs> I get it yeah, yeah and it's, it's sometimes not always about
2: fame or being like yes. the one at the front of the newspaper or like it's important to talk about the work especially yeah. because if you don't what I've realized for big corporations other people will fill the void exactly and they might not have all the facts and then you're just wasting time trying to tell people otherwise Mm -hmm. so it's good to be ahead of the conversation and people let people know we care the company cares about elections and election integrity everywhere yeah Um, but at the same time it's not about the company it's not about me oftentimes it's about how can we work together right how can we be a leader by leading others but let them do what they're best at
0: yeah, and that's leadership. That, in its essence, is leadership. I like that. Okay, so we talked a lot about your work. Um, what are some of the trends, and what are some of the challenges? Like, kind of spoken spoke about, like how easy it is almost to do your work, but what are some of the challenges that you in particular face? And, being part of a global organization like Facebook. I mean, how many employees are there?
2: That's a good question. I should know it, but I don't. Okay, because well
0: they keep okay. hiring, Right,
2: <laughs> it's growing right. yeah. every day. Yeah. Um, so whatever number I give you is probably outdated by now. Yeah. Um, but I, I know that even just with this push on sort of safety and cybersecurity, uh, a lot more people have been hired over the last one or two years. Got it. And so in terms of challenges, I think when you have a company that grows, it takes a bit of time for it to find its it's equilibrium again right like how do you bring the new people on board with understanding what is the mission how does how do you actually work to accomplish the mission how do you have impact in a way that it's not about you but it's about you working together with a bigger picture um, and it's happening I see it happening but I think it will also take time because it is still very much a company that also relies on personal connection right like I don't think it's unique to Facebook I think it's a matter of if you sit in Dubai I sit in London and we've never met before you don't know who I am I'm asking you for something that has to be urgently ratified it's probably easier if we had a chance to meet once right and you know me and you know I'm coming from a good place and I wouldn't just rush you for the sake of rushing you but it's something that just came up and needs to be addressed quickly because we're all human and we all have a little bit too much work on our plates so I think yeah just this idea of as we're all super busy still taking the time to get to know your fellow colleagues understand a little bit more and have a bit more empathy about the workload they're dealing with to know that you know if they don't get back to you right away it's not because they don't care it's because 10 of you emailed them at the same day the company does a good job of bringing people together which I really love
0: so it sounds like you know Facebook is the social planet like until Facebook we really didn't even have this concept of social media as encapsulated into one concept as we do now. Mm -hmm. So beyond that, now we have Facebook that is both WhatsApp and Instagram. Mm -hmm. So how... And are you in the company leveraging those other relationships to, I guess, amp up your work or to amplify your message? What what kind of relationships do you have on those different with those business units?
2: Yeah, I think for me specifically, and with election integrity, WhatsApp is definitely always part of the conversation. So they are always part of the risk analysis as well as risk mitigation. And I think oftentimes people usually come and say, you know, WhatsApp is great; it allows me to stay in contact with. Family I and friends, but I think that's the aspect of sort of how do we make sure that people think twice before they share news that they are not sure are uh, accurate or true? Uh, and I think sort of we, so we work very much in tandem with the other teams to better think about, you know, is it marketing that could help people think about like think before you share, or is it a matter of just sort of making people aware of how fake news could look like?
0: So do you find yourself going into the field more often in your role or in your business? Because Africa in particular, I mean, we're using Facebook, Mm -hmm. Um, but we definitely have a little bit of an access and, like I was saying, a a, a kind of competency with using the smartphone effectively. Like, we have this,
1: so much functionality
0: amongst all of these apps that I think a lot of people, maybe not even specific to Africa, but definitely a lot of people have challenges. So what kind of,
1: getting away from, like you mentioned, it's nice
0: if you've seen your colleague before, so what kind of other, like, offline activities or initiatives are are happening or being implemented? Yeah, I mean,
2: to be honest, it's a little bit beyond my expertise now, but I do know that the public policy team, they do a lot in partnership with organizations to focus on... Social awareness and social sorry online safety related concerns. So from working with schools, right, working with organizations that go to schools to sort of help help young people think more broadly about how do you stay safe online, not just even on our platforms, but in general, sure. yeah. everything from you need a good
1: password and don't yeah. use the
2: same one yeah. to you know where do I go if I if I encounter online bullying? Yeah. Um, if somebody has stolen my identity, where do I go? Um, I think it starts. Yeah, have to start young yeah. and uh, I know there are a lot of programs that are now happening and not in isolation I mean I know that oftentimes we work with other colleagues from other organizations
1: like Google or, or, or Twitter as well so
2: it's definitely I think online safety is something that all the companies care about and sort of creating this awareness of opportunities but also threats or challenges in social media is also something that everybody benefits from Yeah. because nobody likes fake news to be shared via any of these platforms. Right. right. Everybody wants people to be a bit more aware of asking the right questions. And the younger generation, in a lot of places, they have grown up with this tech,
1: so they can better
2: spot if something yeah. looks weird or for them. Exactly. They're yeah. like, oh, this account only has three followers and it's sending out a lot of messages. That's a bit of weird behavior or I'm getting the same information like five times from this account, this might be a bot. And I, I know that the older generation, it's not just in Africa, it's around the world, yeah. is catching up with that a bit more. Yeah. I'm a big believer in also learning and thinking more about like, how do we learn as human beings? How do you remember something? Yes. I, I think right. we underestimate that it has to be also engaging and interesting and, and maybe even with a bit of humor yeah. to make people remember, oh, I don't want to be that auntie that sends everything that she receives to 500 people every single day. Right? right. You all have that auntie who just right. like, oh, will send you something on WhatsApp every single day if you want to or not. <laughs> so, it's like, I think, yeah, I think we have to, it's a serious topic, but I think we have to approach it with creativity and almost humor and local insights to make people sort of better think about how they want to show up on
1: Yeah.
2: And what kind of online citizen they want to be. And Facebook has done some really cool things in that space in different countries with different partners to sort of help raise awareness that yes all these platforms are great but you do have to be aware of some challenges and the potential negative impact if you're not aware mm-hmm. so, and yeah I think we're, we're definitely moving in the right direction in
0: that regard. Good, good. So speaking of moving in the right direction this is my mindset question. So I like to ask my guests what is your favorite or one that you can imagine,
1: mm-hmm.
0: innovative mindset. So, it could be something that already exists or something that you could just make up on the spot that it might be something that the world could use. That's a good one. Um, I recently took
2: part in a leadership uh, retreat
1: and I really loved
2: the shift in mindset that happened while I was there. And the premise of this retreat, um, shout out to my girl, Rakia, was that how would you show up in life? if you live a life of abundance i think oftentimes we think about things in terms of scarcity i don't have enough time i don't have enough money i don't have all the skills i don't have all the knowledge and and you almost approach certain things from a
0: fear-based
1: level and
2: she flipped it on its head and i do it now with everything sort of want to hold on, take a step back, and think about how would I approach this problem if I had everything at my disposal that I need.
1: Because mm. I think yeah. oftentimes
2: what's holding us back is not that we don't have what we need, it's self-limiting beliefs. Yeah. So we think we don't have what we need. Exactly. The knowledge, the skills, the connection, or even Google
1: <laughs>
2: to figure out you know what it is that you need to do to get what you need. So, I think my life hack is, if faced with a challenge or a problem, take a step back and think about how would I handle this if I had everything yeah. at my disposal a life of abundance
1: yeah.
0: I like that I, when, when I heard you say it I was like ah <laughs> because I mean I think we all start from a, it's a problem versus a solution because abundance is a solution and if we start from there we it's almost like magic you know we really are in our own magic so I love that it is yeah. almost like magic it's true yeah, yeah. yeah. cool well I see we're almost at the end of our conversation. And, and dear dear listeners, I want to thank you for, for being with us because we're in a bustling New <laughs> I mean not New York, London um, yes. London restaurant. It's called Granger Coast. So I'll give them a shout-out, which is really cute and the food looks great. You might have to get some. Um, so bear with us. But I just wanted to ask one last question, which I like to kind of get into the minds and the the lifestyle of my guests. So tell us, what are you? Reading nowadays.
1: Ah. <laughs>
2: I'm one of these people that I read multiple books at the same time, okay. which I actually don't advise because every time you go back, you're like, what is this about and where did I stop? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, um, funny thing, I just picked up a book called. Um, Brave New Girl. Oh, okay. And it's actually, fit, it is
0: actually
1: it fiction fits. or
2: non-fiction? It's non-fiction. non-fiction okay. I guess it falls into the self-help. But I always, I, didn't, I never like this term. Um, I yeah. just like it to be more inspirational. Yeah. And the idea is that um, similar, sort of, what as women do we do to hold ourselves back?
1: Um,
2: how do we sort of limit our own light and our own shine? And I'm very much all about 2020, letting my own light shine, and um, giving that permission to others to do the same, almost. Um, so, yeah, Brave New Girl, I believe it's called. Okay, we'll put that in the show notes. Yes, I definitely recommend that. Also, an old classic that I listen to via audiobook is um Oprah's things I know for sure.
0: Okay. It's definitely something good to listen to while
2: you're doing something in the house.
0: Right. Doing multitasking, dishes, multitasking, multitasking, multitasking. exactly I laundry love gardening I love audio
2: myself. So yes. yes. I think that one is great um, what I know for sure definitely I would recommend that and then I'm checking out one or two sci-fi books okay actually sci-fi and romance okay I will admit I just love sci-fi so yeah uh, also the genres in that regard I have a few more but I'm going to stop there
0: okay okay <laughs> well I'll recommend one sci-fi that I have recently finished and it was, was How Long, the Long the Until Black Future Month
1: ooh yeah. I like that a yeah. lot yeah, so that one's new. That's
0: a I think that's a title for 2019. Okay, nice. Yeah. So yeah, and then there's another one, um, The Unkindness of Ghosts. Both very mm. okay. really
1: good. Yeah. you it to my list. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yes. I have more to I have
0: more to give you. Okay. But yeah, those are those are two that I recently and, and they're kind of in the same theme. It's, it's yeah. brave great referral mm-hmm. concept, you know, a lot of a lot of that kind of information. But the Black Future Must book is short stories. So oh, it's, it's a book good. of um like short essays mm-hmm. but all around future thinking about so i love that yeah wow.
2: okay shout out to all the sci-fi lovers yes, yes. yes.
0: i love that yes That's brilliant Okay, so Priya, any last words before we sign off for today? Well, to be honest, number one, it's been
2: an absolute delight to have seen you again. Yes. I don't see you often, not in my life, I know, right? Uh, So this was the best way to come back to London, knowing that I would see you today. I'm also really excited that you're doing this podcast, because I think growing up, I've always wondered whether there are other people like me who don't necessarily fit into a box. And so I love that you're exploring other badass people Um, In terms of what they're doing, how they're impacting their circle, the world, maybe even themselves, and just act as an inspiration to others. Um, So I'm excited to see what else you have in store. Who else you're going to be talking to? And um, everybody, tell your friends to tune in and and share the message because these are some great stories. Yes, thank you. And that's great segue
0: into, dear listeners, you can catch us every Tuesday with new episodes at Global Citizens pod.com or wherever you find your podcast that's google that's itunes that's pod theme all those wonderful places nice so this is florence adu again signing off for global citizens bye for now